0: What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader! And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organisations exploring future-fit leadership and organisational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, Executive Coach, Senior Advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organisation and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, Janie Peroni, VP of Global Organizational Development at McCain Foods. Thank you, Janie, for being here today.
1: Wonderful to be here. Really appreciate you having me today.
0: Well, we're going to dive straight in and perhaps... You can start by sharing a little bit about McCain Foods' reason for being, its, its passion and its purpose.
1: Okay, great. Um, well, before I dive in, why don't I tell you a little bit about McCain itself and who we are? So we are a uh, privately owned Canadian business. Last year, we celebrated our 65th birthday. And in that timeframe, we've grown to operate globally across 160 different countries. We're a food manufacturing business. And so across those countries, we produce a variety of products, uh, including French fries, potato specialties, appetizers, entrees, pizzas, and in some countries, even desserts. And so in Canada, we're known for our deep and delicious cakes. And and of all those products, we're we're most known for our potato-based products, and in particular, French fries or crisps, depending uh, where you live in the world. And so that's a little bit about um, who we are. The um, truth is, um, because we operate as business to business, it's likely that you're um, enjoying many of our products without knowing it. And so um, as an example of that, we manufacture all of McDonald's French fries. And so one of the fun facts I'd share with you today is that one in four French fries in the world is a McCain French fry. But in terms of our purpose, I think that was that was your question, Giles, wanting to share a little bit more about our reason for being. So the way we articulate our purpose is to celebrate real connections through delicious planet friendly foods. And so we know the importance that food plays in people's lives, the power that it has to bring families and communities together. And so this purpose speaks to our belief in connecting people through delicious food. And I'm Italian, so this is always true for me. My world revolves around food and family. Um, But we also know that consumers want food that is produced in a sustainable way. And so that's why we've also set our purpose towards producing planet-friendly food, which means we produce food responsibly with the goal to enable a sustainable future for, for all.
0: There you go. That's a good little place for us to to dive further into, because um, planet-friendly food, I mean, and sustainable food. Yes. Um, yeah. I know that you guys also have been looking at farming of the future Yes. and have also been sort of dipping your toe into regenerative agriculture and even working with credit unions and banks and so forth in Africa to help farmers with exploring that. Is there anything you can share about about regenerative farming and some of the farming practices that you've been involved with?
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so in living that purpose statement, we do put agronomy at the forefront of all we do. And it does place a very large focus on promoting regenerative agriculture. So in terms of those practices, They really are around improving soil health, increasing water quality and protecting biodiversity. And so I'll just preempt this by saying, I'm not the expert, but I at a very high level can share. So some of those practices include reducing use of synthetic inputs like pesticides. So managing pests with biological solutions, optimizing water usage using advanced water management techniques or technology. We also aim to minimize soil disturbance So focus on less tilling. There's also an element to how we rotate the crops and how we armor the soil with other living plants to really secure it. And then we also integrate organic and livestock elements as a way to enhance the soil quality. So we invite those cows onto the into the property.
0: So, I mean, you know, that's I mean, that's it's music to my ears that Uh industrial (laughs) manufacturing um section of society is, is shifting but why i mean obviously on one level one can understand that you're helping sort of build in resilience for your own source but is there any other reason i mean what 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 drove that investment
1: well we we just really see uh, it as a as a responsibility of of the organization so we partner with 3500 growers across the globe and, um, and so we know and believe that by making this commitment as an organization, we're helping to drive significant and sustainable change across the globe. And we're inviting partners in as well. So we're not doing this alone, we're doing it with our customers. You mentioned also the financers or the investors. So it is a, um, a collaboration uh, against this commitment. And for us, we've, we've made the commitment by 2030 that uh, we will implement regen egg practices across 100% of that potato egg acreage. So 100% of our potatoes will come from regen egg uh, farms.
0: Excellent. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, on the one hand, I can hear some listeners probably thinking, wow, this is sort of massive and it's it's, it's industrial and and you know, it's sort of uh, McDonald's and all of that. But at the same token, it's that level of scale that can actually help drive change. You know, like mm-hmm. this dealing with... Um that amount of farmers around the world can actually and working at the system level, Correct. you know with the funders, the investors, the banks, you can you can use your power to help change that system. So that's that's the important thing. So if we now pivot a little bit into the inner nature of the organization, uh, the culture. It's a family company. It's been family operated for sixty five years. Yes. Um, how would you describe the values, the day-to-day, living of the organization.
1: Sure, sure, yeah. So in terms of the inner nature uh, and our values, you mentioned it, we're a um, family-based organization. And so if you ask any one of our employees about our values, the first one they will mention is family. And um, it is grounded in the fabric of who we are, a family-owned business who understands that nothing matters more in life than family. And uh, what this translates into is a mindset of taking care, taking care of um, the business as if it were your own. So owner's mindset, taking care of each other like we would our own family. And that translates into the importance we place on health and safety. In fact, our motto, our safety motto is for us, for family. And it also translates into caring for the global family through our commitment to being planet friendly as well. And we're also, I'd say known, um, grounded in authenticity And so in terms of, we know that we're a diverse team, we have more than 20,000 people across the globe working and collaborating to deliver results together. You know, we're we're committed to ensuring that there is consistency and quality of our brand, sort of no matter where you are in the world, it's important, but that does require we shape a more inclusive culture. And so, you know, a place where everybody can be themselves, have the courage to speak up, have their ideas heard or or their opinions count. So we're continuing to put a lot of time and effort and investment in that space. And then earlier I spoke about creating real connections as an element of our purpose. It's a very relationship focused. um, And this is where that value of trust uh, factors into our culture. I would say that we are an organization built on relationships and real connections, whether that is with the 3,500 farmers we work with globally, our customers around the world, or the colleagues that we work with every day. So I'd say that's a bit about, you know, is it perfect? Um, nah,
0: no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is the journey, isn't it? Really focusing and recognizing that it's actually all about relationships. Uh, yeah, and and yeah. You, you, you also touched on something there, which is the brand. The brand isn't just out there it's it's in here. Now, if we can't live that brand authentically, as you put it, then really, you know, people sense that these days. Mm -hmm. And so I've been reading a lot these days about how brand is being seen as kind of like the the secret source or culture and brand seen as the two secret sources. But they're the same thing, actually. You know, when Mm -hmm. you have a really a brand that's been lived in the day-to-day, that emanates and then goes through into the outer nature of the organization. So this brings um, attention potentially around local and global. You know, you're a large global business. (laughs) You've got lots, you're operating in 100 different, Hundred and fifty different countries, uh, and yet you want to keep that family essence. You want people to connect in an authentic way. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Because obviously, at the lo- local level, you want people to, you know, have their own way of doing things, but you also want it to fit within a global umbrella.
1: Oh, absolutely! And um, so, I've worked in a few um, global organizations. So, I'd say that tension, um, no matter where I've gone, um, you know, there's some some elements of it always there. What's interesting for McCain is that as it, as this organization grew uh, across the globe, um, there was a lot of autonomy given to the local leaders with respect to product offerings and partnerships and really focused on like suit to your point, like suit the local needs. And in fact, there was a saying that I, when I arrived, you know, you hear the stories that exist within the system. And the one I heard was um, that our leaders at the time reinforced the importance of drinking the local wine. Right. So, really embed yourself in that culture, focus on localizing the business. And then here we are, you know, fast forward to however many years later, this balance that in order to drive this consistent experience with our global customers, because many of them have grown to become global, they expect that same consistency country to country, but also from an efficiency perspective, right? There's there's an opportunity here to better align behind some, you know, key standardized global processes. And so this is where we are and where the tension exists. We're in the process of really defining where those global standards and processes need to exist and figuring out what that balance is around that maintaining the local autonomy where it's needed.
0: This is where leadership development comes in, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're, you're the sort of global... Um, head for organizational development but a key part of that is leadership development and on the one hand yes we need sort of standardized consistency but on the other hand as you know that can quite easily make it feel like corporate speak so how do you actually live that how do you how do you how are you helping shift some of these mainstream conventional styles of leadership that that are that are dominant in any corporate environment of this size um, and see them becoming more authentic.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to share that we are in the process of defining a new leadership model for, for McCain. And my understanding is that, um, you know, many organizations post-COVID are actually doing the same. So we're all dealing with this sort of volatile and uncertain future and the shift with respect to employees' needs and the expectations. But for us, it's giving us the opportunity to step back and appreciate what has served us well. And so ultimately it's, as you said, this shift is from this traditional, I'd say more command and control, uh, leaders the expert, doing a little bit more telling um, and driving the decision forward to, we're making the shift to an approach that's, say more focused on listening, learning, um, wanting to see more higher levels of empathy. Earlier I spoke about the inclusion, the importance of that. And just aiming to really, in order to drive innovation, really cultivating ideas from from within. And so we've been thinking about this shift in terms of sort of um, the shift from not just leading with head and hands, but including the heart. Yeah. So leading with head, heart and hands. So more of a balanced approach to leadership.
0: So on the one hand, that can emancipate the leader, actually free them up and invite them to bring more of themselves into the workplace. On the other hand, that can be extremely scary for someone who's sort of, you know, learned to be bulletproofed and manage their persona and get the job done. So, you know, there's, there's, again, a nice healthy tension, isn't there about having to package this in a way that the achiever gets and goes, well, this isn't just soft, fluffy, heart stuff, but on the other hand, actually encourages them to deeply want to shift.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so so for me personally, I'm I'm on the side of this is incredibly freeing. Anybody who knows me would know I tend to lead more from a heart-centered approach. Um, but yeah, I, I can see it in the, we're having great conversations internally with our senior leaders. And what I've said to them is doesn't mean you're letting go of that side of you. You're, it doesn't mean uh, you know, it means we're we're. It's a yes and. Yeah. It is a yes. We continue to drive for results, and we continue to challenge each other and and have those difficult conversations. But there's certainly a, a an and in here in terms of how we might approach those conversations a little bit differently as we go forward.
0: So, what does this what does this mean for you then, Janie? You know, I've I've, yeah. I've very much enjoyed our <laughs> coaching relationship over the months and years. But, but you know, what is a heart? more heart-centered leadership mean for you in your life?
1: Oh, uh, so first of all, I feel when I think about it, there's this big exhale, like, finally, (laughs) because I would share that I've been working in corporate for 25 years now, and there's always been this question of do I really fit? Does, um, you know, how does my style work here? And in fact, I actually made the decision to exit corporate back uh, maybe seven years ago, because I wasn't sure if it was where I belonged anymore and where I could have the greatest impact. And it was interesting because I, at the time, used it as an opportunity to reflect on my purpose. You know, what was the impact I wanted to have in the world? And I artic- the words that came to me at the time were, I want to lead a positive shift in workplace consciousness. And I can tell you, I I didn't really know what that meant, I just, it really resonated deeply, and so after some time, uh, for me, I, I started to realize, I think I can make more of a difference and contribute to that shift I'm actually inside of an organization rather than trying to, for me personally, trying to get at it from the outside. So so for me, this feels like an incredible opportunity to help make a positive shift in workplace consciousness in a, in a more you know, positive, positive direction. I
0: mean, surely people are actually, you know, I mean, you're in it. Uh, but since COVID, I mean, let's mm. let's actually speak to COVID. You know, what, what how how did you guys experience COVID? I mean, on the one hand, from a business perspective, lockdowns would must have been an absolute nightmare for your business in oh, restaurants yeah. and food consumption and so forth. But on the other hand, you know, was anything meaningful uncovered in the culture as a result of COVID?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so absolutely you're right. Like our being a um a business that's largely focused on people eating out. Um whether it's restaurants or quick serve, we were we were hit pretty hard. Um, and yeah, and like other organizations had to make difficult decisions, you know, in different places at different times. But what I'm most proud of is so what was sort of uncovered or, or reinforced or revealed was we leaned into the values of family and trust. And, um, and we really looked after our people during that time, as well as our suppliers and our farmers, including, so if you think about it, there were tons of potatoes that we couldn't, you know run through the fryers and we're at risk of of you know waste so we were able to redistribute those um um in you know over that time frame and one of the ways that i that personally i was really proud of that um we did to look after our employees and that i was involved in was offering mindfulness training globally so we we put much more focus on well-being and care of of our employees because we knew that that is that is what they you know really needed um at the time
0: and this mindfulness you know it's obviously a bit of a buzzword everywhere and i know your work Mm. you've been working (laughs) on it for many years an an expert in this space but you know really sort of unlocking the capacity to uh be more centered and and be more present as it were without judgment in the day-to-day decision-making mm-hmm. process what how does it actually benefit the leaders in the day-to-day as well as it being a kind of well-being and making people feel better or more able to deal with change what is it, have you noticed some actual positive improvements in the leadership quality of people
1: oh my gosh yeah ever all the participants who have come through the program have I just, I get emails all the time about the impact it's had both on them, prof- like professionally, but as well, personally, right. Just being f- more fully present in their daily lives. And so you said, right. The definition of mindfulness is to just be present with what is, as it is. Um, realizing we can sometimes make up stories. We can, you know, when our brain has this negativity bias, it'll do this like making up worst case scenarios. And so just being more aware, of what the natural tendencies are of the mind, being present um, in the moment with each other. So in relationship, whether that is, um, we talk a lot about a practice of mindful listening. Um, and then also there has been some challenging over the past three years, right? It has been difficult conversation. So I, in a journey we've gone on, our diversity, equity, inclusion um, agenda, um, these are some spaces and places where we've been able to teach leaders how to use these tools to help them manage through some of these, um, be present with what is, not having to change it, being more aware. Um, and so it's helped to build resilience, increase well-being, you know, in addition to being more focused and, and present in the day-to-day.
0: Do you, have you found people be able to be more vulnerable to actually have more mm. difficult conversations? And have you had mm-hmm. any actual practical examples yourself of, of that sort of vulnerability in the workplace?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so yes, absolutely. Um, so in terms of the vulnerability, again, I, I, it is in these moments of difficult conversations where I think, where I know mindfulness can help you sit with the discomfort. Um, and so whether they're, you know, you're, it's a moment of being courageous and having to share your truth. Um, or it is a, um, a situation that's unfolding around you that you're involved in, and just to allow yourself to be fully present in it without judging it one way or the other. And so, um, yeah, I I could, and your question was, is there an example I could share? Sure. Um, There's many. (laughs) Um, I, I would say in, I'll, I'll go back to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in my scope of accountability, that falls um, within it. I have a phenomenal leader on my team um, who leads that globally. But there, there's been a journey uh, when it comes to comes to DEI in terms. And, it's, and I would say, um, because when I came into this role, it was, it was just about the time when, uh, three years ago, when George Floyd was murdered in the US and the social justice movement in North America really accelerated. And then in Canada, we were also learning about the atrocities experienced by Indigenous children who were forced away from their families, sent to residential schools, and many of them never came home. They actually died. so just so devastating to like learn all about this and then really learn about white dominant culture and and when I say that I mean that in a holistic way so not just within McCain this is like within North America and other regions across the globe and the blinders we've had on as it relates to racism and inequity that exists for marginalized people people we work with every day so um so yeah there's been a lot of um through the learning journey process very uncomfortable times where I've um, had to practice either you know body scan to become more aware of what's starting to rise within me <laughs> um, to acknowledge that yeah I'm feeling uncomfortable in this moment it's okay um, and then there's other practices like the stop practice in terms of I'm wanting to react quickly or um, but giving me the opportunity to stop and pause notice how I'm what I'm experiencing think about the other person in the situation Um, and there's been and and then make a decision about how to proceed and so the you know an example sandra and i i'll um, call her out my global head of of dei have had many conversations and as i've tripped up and um i'll give you one example of i she and i were both scheduled to present at a leadership team meeting and um, neither of us were, it was an external consultant that was coming in to really lead the discussion. And I was asked just 20 minutes before the call to uh, speak to a particular slide. Now you need to know that this slide that I was asked to speak to is actually work that Sandra had done. And, and in this situation, she would have been the only racialized person in the room and had I, and I knew it meant I, as a white woman, would be speaking for her when she was present in the room. Now, I was new to the organization. I knew in my gut, like I, the signal that I was getting from the body was this isn't right. But because I was asked just 20 minutes before, I didn't have time to, I, I proceeded and I and I presented the slide. So when she and I had a conversation after about how it made her feel, um, it was really... Um, it was difficult. And I I um yeah, that would be an example of, yeah. you know, I I even didn't, you know, I, I would say even in how I responded in the moment, there was learning because I got emotional. And again, there's this saying about white women's tears. And so I um I knew that the emotion I was feeling and I was expressing wasn't necessarily appropriate. This is my learning. So I I've come to get better at again, holding the discomfort. Yeah, in the moment and and so three I've had a lot of practice over three years and mindfulness and all the tools in the mindfulness toolkit have been incredibly useful in that space
0: yeah well there's a lot there there's a lot you're unpacking and um to your you've mentioned your purpose and I suspect it's morphed Well, I I know it's morphed a bit since since back then um is there anything in particular you want to share about your purpose now and any particular tips you think that might help you and other leaders with this has your purpose evolved at all um has it deepened in a in in any particular area
1: it's such a great question i would say i still articulate it the same way Um, i'm clear about the things i am doing that are creating the shift Um, like i said mindfulness so bringing mindfulness training to the organization moving leaders through that i know is is helping I also believe that role modeling it is key. So I, I don't discredit the how you're showing up every day is is also making a difference. And I, I probably I've come to sort of acknowledge that um, and appreciate that more. Um, and and then I do see opportunities like earlier, I talked about the leadership model. Uh, this to me is is a incredible opportunity as we start to engage in these conversations about heart-centered human-centered leadership that i that for me are about how to become more conscious more open more aware about how what you're saying and doing is impacting your team member, your colleague, your coworker, your customer, or even some of the decisions we're making, being really thoughtful about how are we impacting the planet and becoming more conscious uh, and aware.
0: Well, this is really it. Um, Becoming more conscious at the heart of regenerative leadership, becoming more conscious of ourselves. Um, of each other, of the system at nested levels, the team, the organization, and the way in which we're affecting the wider planet. It's been a true joy, as always, (laughs) connecting with you, Janie. Thank you so much for the positive energy you bring and the leadership that you bring into a large corporate on the world stage these days thank you so much
1: well thank you giles i appreciate having the opportunity to be here today
0: for more on leading by nature you can follow me giles hutchins on linkedin and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business also watch out for my latest book mm-hmm. leading by nature the process of becoming a regenerative leader